Grooveaholics. Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. Groovy. Welcome, everyone, to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your top source for live local regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. 
I am your host, Ben Albert, and I am here with Jonathan Allentoff. Jonathan, how are we doing today? Very well, thanks. So wonderful to be here with you, Ben. I'm happy to have you here. That that was a beautiful, beautiful composition we just heard. Thank you so much. This romance in 7-4 is very special because ASMAC, the American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers, had a special contest this past summer during COVID-19. We're still involved with that, as you know, to create new works in 7-4. And it was really exciting to create a romantic, filmic-type work uh, utilizing the string orchestra with modern sensibilities in the 7-4 time signature. And I found it really inspiring to write something fresh and new. I was so excited. It was included in their video showcase. I was so honored that it won an award for merit. And I feel so grateful that I was able to write something new. And with my virtual instruments, that was before we got going with live rehearsals during the pandemic, uh, create something new and put it out there and share it with everyone. What an absolute privilege. It's incredible. Congratulations. You said those are all virtual instruments we heard? Those were all virtual instruments from my note performer software. Um, I also did some additional mixing and mastering, but it was quite exciting. It was all played by virtual instruments through my finale music program with note performer. And uh, so I was so glad to be able to have a new performance come out even before we could play in person. That's great. And and we'll talk more about Zoom performing and things like that. I want to introduce everybody to you. Jonathan is a composer, a conductor, a performer, um, and really just a, just an incredible writer in the realm of musical composition. I, you, your resume speaks for itself. I don't want to try to have to spit everything out. You have quite, quite the resume of experiences. Do you want to give us a bird's eye view of the, the organizations that you work with and, and what you've done here to bring you here today? Oh, thank you so much, Ben. Well, I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity to be heavily involved in the Rochester musical community. I grew up here in Rochester and I feel so fortunate that we have such a vibrant, you know, collection of musical organizations that really uh, keep our city strong and inspiring for people of all ages. I'm music director of the Brockport Symphony Orchestra that I founded with my wonderful mentor, Dr. Bill Holfish, where we're very grateful to the village of Brockport and the Genesee Valley Council on the Arts for their incredible support. I love directing the Greece Community Orchestra. And I'm so honored to serve as president of the Greece Performing Arts Society with Marcia Nashar, my wonderful vice president, Gwendolyn Schneider, my wonderful secretary, and Amanda Alonchi, my wonderful treasurer, and working with colleagues B.J. Comer and Rollo, Dr. Rollo Fisher. I'm music director of the Temple Bethel Orchestra, where I work with Kazan Randall Levine and his wife, Emily Levine, Kazan Emeritus, Martin Lubitz, another one of my wonderful mentors, Rabbi Leonardo Bitron, and some wonderful, wonderful players. We put on a virtual sleep coat service in the pandemic uh, this past September. 
I love serving as associate conductor of the Brighton Symphony Orchestra with my wonderful colleague, Rick Jones, just a fabulous music director, and our wonderful concertmaster, Lisa Toth. As a matter of fact, I play viola, principal viola, when I'm not conducting, which is a wonderful uh, treat as well. I loved starting Alan Toff Music, my ASCAP music publishing business, or I've had just the incredible opportunity to publish music, both my own and composers from across the country and around the world, and write, you know, new arrangements and compositions for the Pittsburgh Symphony, Knoxville Symphony, Sydney Opera House, among many others. Uh, I love having an interdisciplinary career. I'm so honored to serve as chair of membership for New York American String Teachers Association, keep active involvement in NISMA, APME, CODA, uh, and so many others. I, I feel so lucky to be based here in Rochester, but I keep active on the national and global scenes, and I couldn't think of a nicer place to be. I love Rochester. I've spent my whole life here. I've traveled to a number of other places, but I'm so glad to call Rochester my home. Well, yeah, I'm glad to call Rochester my home as well. And I'm glad that there's people like you playing such an active role in the community on so many levels. Um, to very bird's eye view questions here. Why music? <laughs> Why music? You could have been a fireman. You could have been an astronaut. You could have been a landscaper, whatever you'd like. What, what got you into music, Jonathan? Well, I got to tell you, when I was three years old, I was conducting recordings that my parents would play on the stereo system. I went to concerts basically when I was just a couple of weeks old, because my dad has been the longtime president of the Brighton Symphony Orchestra, and my mom's a vocalist. And I grew up with a music scene, you know. Uh, I was very fortunate. At five years old, I started violin with Dr. Thomas Saul, a retired director of strings in the Greece Central Schools. I also very young got into composition with Dr. Daniel Chazanov, who's a wonderful composer, also based here in Rochester. He passed away a few years ago. Amazing talent and mentor. And Mrs. Diane Howard, who was my elementary music teacher and my high school music teacher, just an incredible mentor. I I love music. I feel it innately. You know, I respond to it. I mean, we're born for music. It, it's part of the way our brain functions, and it brings us so much joy and inspiration and, you know, new ideas and everything that we do. But the big thing, why music, is because music has the ability to bring us together. I can share musical pieces of all different kinds and styles with people of all ages. I can see kids and grandparents get together in one. Uh, I can write something new that touches people regardless of where they live or what language they speak. And music is something that brings us just beautiful joy. And I really believe it brings us enthusiasm that really makes our lives so enriched. I couldn't think of a better way to spend my life than sharing what I love with others. Absolutely. Yeah. As you said, we're born for music. It's enriching. It brings everyone together. Um, and from a socio, a sociocultural perspective, we can see that music connects people. I'm wondering from a personal experience perspective, yeah. 
did did you learn this by reading a book or were there times in your life that you felt that connection experiences where you felt the connection between the music and the the instrumentalist or being you know on the outside looking in explain some of that moments for those moments for us oh how touching yeah you know books are wonderful i was so thrilled at the college at brockport my alma mater for my undergrad and stony brook university where i received my master's degree uh to study with wonderful people i have to say the books are great but the people and the mentors you have are really what makes it special I mean, I think back to going to concerts when I was very, very young and just the energy when the conductor walks out, you know, when the whole orchestra stands up or the soloist comes out or you get a standing ovation. I've been on both sides of that. And, you know, the energy you feel in the room uh, is not something that you can easily replicate in a book. We can describe it. We can say, you know, it's uplifting, it's exciting, you know, when people applaud, it's um, unpredictable what's going to happen in a live performance because it's happening in the moment. And maybe we get it right, maybe we make a mistake, maybe it's not perfect, but maybe something happens that didn't happen in rehearsal that make those moments magical. Uh, So it's exciting on both sides, being an audience member or being a performer. I have to say, premiering a new composition is amazing. I love conducting a brand new work or a brand new arrangement and sharing it with people. You see the expressions on their faces. You can't put a price tag on that. I'll never forget conducting a performance um, where we had a lot of young kids, and I asked what was the name of the piece. And uh, it was so cute that this little girl shouts out, Elf! And I thought, how wonderful that we're reaching young, the youngest members of our community right. through live music. Uh, you know, it's hard to describe in words because the feeling is so uplifting when you're in it. But I have to say, books are great. We can learn a lot from our wonderful writers and our mentors, many of whom have written various texts on the subject. I have to tell you, I wrote my thesis on the positive cultural impact of community orchestras. And one of the big things I noted was that if we bring music to people of all ages, to senior living communities, to malls, to you know, places you might not think about music happening, we can reach a new level with our experience of sharing music that just transcends any boundaries or anything else that may separate us. I think it brings us together in such a unique way and really touches everyone involved in that experience. Yeah, it's unique and it is transcendent. You can read a book and you can understand um, the theory behind what's happening, but there's nothing better than being a test subject in that theory and actually being part of the music itself. Um, You, you know, in your introduction and with your endeavors, you mentioned, you know, multiple mentors and you ultimately give a lot of recognition to other people, which I always think is a gracious thing to do. I hate when everyone takes all the credit because what can we do without others? It's a community effort. Can we, 
Can we dive a little bit deeper into some of the mentorship opportunities you've had um, with some of your mentors, what they've taught you and things we can learn to maybe uh, not make the mistakes we've made in the past that they could teach us? Oh, how touching. I feel so grateful for my mentors. You know, so much of what we share with others, people were gracious enough to share with us. Uh, Dr. Saul, my wonderful violin and viola professor, I started with at five. He always taught me to listen really carefully, critically, you know, because every note contributes to making a beautiful performance. And I also learned very early on, not just to read the notes on the page, but to feel them in your heart, in your body, you know. And that really translates to me being a conductor, because as a conductor, I'm putting all of the musical expressions into motion. And one of the things I love is using La Bonne dance theory and, you know, movement to really express music in a way that connects with others while they're performing. And from a young age, I was exposed to a wide range of pieces. I mean, obviously the classics, uh, one of my favorite composers has always been Handel. Uh, one of Dr. Saul's favorite composers was Bach, although he loved all of them. But we also got into things like a Chopin Farewell and some jazz, violin and viola, and um, American folk music. And I believe that broad background was extremely important. I so believe that we must educate everyone musically in a wide range of styles and genres because they really share a lot of similarities and it makes us diverse as musicians and you know it it really inspires us from a compositional process too of having all those ideas in mind now dr daniel chazanoff i got to edit his works which was really exciting he would write his manuscripts i would put them in the finale the music software and i would go through them and I'd make sure all the ranges were right and, you know, all the dynamics were in the right place and things like that. And that one-on-one mentorship just made such a difference. Mrs. Diane Howard, I was so, I'm just so grateful to her because I was able to start conducting my high school orchestra. I really learned what conducting was all about. It's not just about making motions. Uh, and it's not just about, you know, saying I conducted a great performance, but it's about feeling the music and sharing that feeling in the rehearsal process as much as the performance and really inspiring your musicians to reach the greatest heights that they can. Uh, That was an incredible experience. Dr. Hullfish, my wonderful mentor at Brockport, was just so transformative. He's a Smithsonian gold medal artist, and he's a man who he does everything. I mean, he founded the Golden Eagle String Band that we collaborate with. Uh, he's my God, he's done so many film scores and you know commercials, and he taught me the value of learning a wide range of styles. And with him, we just dove into every kind of music you could imagine. And how can we really make our teaching the most effective? So. Not just, you know, well, I do it this way, so I want you to do it this way. But how can we reach each individual in our orchestra room or in the classroom? You know, everyone thinks differently through multiple intelligences. I think about Jim Georgia and Kevin Warner. 
my wonderful other mentors at Rockport, and how we got into, you know, multiple intelligences theory and how people learn in different ways. Some people may learn more by moving. Some people like to work in big groups. Some people like to work by themselves. Some people like to draw it. And I try to use all those techniques in my conducting and in my teaching. At Stony Brook in my master's program with Dr. Pace and Dr. Chris Zemanski, Al Pisano, Dr. Craig Marks, and so many great uh, mentors I've had at Stony Brook, I loved getting into advanced study on cognitive neuroscience and how do we learn and how can we make what we do exciting. One of the things I really loved is I did my thesis and my research pa- final research paper on thesis on community orchestras and the impact they have on people's lives. Such a personal <laughs> issue, something that I'm very passionate about, and you know how we can reach so many people through what we do. And I also did a lot of study on Mikolos Rosa, the great film composer. And with Rosa, it was really inspiring because I got to study... I was so honored to have this opportunity, his manuscripts, his writings. What did he say? What did he write down? What photos did he keep in his personal collections? I was at Syracuse University in UCLA, and I went through all of Rose's uh, writings, his manuscripts, his film scores, of you know, Thief of Baghdad, The Jungle Book, and Ben-Hur, and all those classics. And one of the things I found was that he was just the kindest person. You, you know, you read his letters, and he's so thankful to the producers, to the directors. It was the same thing when I got to study with Gerard Schwartz, the wonderful maestro, <laughs> Gerard Schwartz, and Eugene Corporon, and Charles Gambetta, among others. You know, I learned great conducting techniques from them, but I also learned just how wonderful the best people really are because they're so kind and they're so gracious. You know, it's like my good composition friend, Steve Lebeckin, who I've been working on with Composition Online, teaching music composition through Zoom Masterclasses. One of the things we always talk about is that music is something that, reaches everyone. It's not just for the select few. And the important thing about music is that we always share it, that it's not about us or about just the things that we're writing this, but writing music and performing music to lift people up, to inspire others, regardless of their age. And, you know, you can really make a positive difference in people's lives. My mentors have all been kind and modest and wonderful and I'm just so grateful for everything that they've contributed to my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy they've been there to inspire, to uplift, and you're there to do just the same. Um, with a lot that you said there and a lot you've learned, I see that you know everyone's different and everyone has something new to bring to the table. You mentioned earlier, you know, bringing emotion into the music, feeling the music. I'm curious as a composer and, you know, putting together, uh, it, is it orchestras generally or, or what, um, what team of musicians are you generally working with? I generally work with orchestras, okay. um, generally, you know, mid-sized symphony orchestras. Brighton is a large symphony orchestra. Uh, obviously, every group is smaller right now due to the <laughs> pandemic, you know, and some on Zoom and some in person. Fortunately, we made recordings for upcoming virtual concerts before everything just closed down 
uh, basically last week, you know, with this orange zone. Yeah. But it's interesting because as a composer, I write a lot for orchestra, but I also love playing chamber music. I perform yeah. a lot of string quartets and things like that, you know, solo pieces, uh, viola and piano. Um, and I've also written uh, pieces for a wide range of different, you know, string ensembles, um, uh, chamber pieces for a couple of instruments, uh, choral arrangements. So I, I work in a wide range uh, of different ensembles, but I write most for orchestra because I have the great opportunity to work with many orchestral musicians. And you get so many great tone colors, you know, in the orchestra. You think about the woodwinds, the brass, the strings, the percussion. Each section brings something unique. I mean, you think of the energy of a timpani roll or, you know, a hit on the bass drum. And then you think of those passionate lyrical lines in the violin, the viola, the cello, maybe something digging in, you know, in the double bass. And then you think of that beautiful flute solo, maybe to signify the morning has come or something like that. And beautiful oboe, clarinet, bassoon. Maybe it's a French horn call, which was very popular in many Hollywood scores, especially the classic ones, still quite popular in Hollywood scoring today. You know, it's interesting, too, because each section brings something to the orchestra. When we compose, you know, I... I don't do it at the piano myself. I hear it in my head. I hear all the parts and I write down what I hear, you know, and then I finish orchestrating it for, you know, the instruments that I'm writing for. But I hear the instrumental lines for a particular instrument. And one of the exciting things about composition, you can make these moods happen. One of the things I've really enjoyed during the pandemic uh, is getting a chance to write new filmic type compositions for song trader and amazon and so forth that create different moods you know like saturday night twilight or cinematic dreams you know or romantic themes or something a bit jazzy i also released uh, two new holiday songs recently a hanukkah song like the hanukkah lights that i collaborated with lisa waltzer and we'll be together at christmas with my good friend vocalist michael deluca and those were kind of exciting too because you bring vocals into any arrangement the lyrics and the passion of the voice add so much. I love writing for voice and orchestra. But when I wrote I'll Be Home for Christmas, this arrangement of the song for the Pittsburgh Symphony, one of the things I loved, Vanessa Campagna's beautiful soaring voice. What a vocalist can do, it can really make your arrangement stand out. And I'm just so grateful to all the performers that make a composer's music so beautiful what we write is just a guide it people then make it special and unique in every way right it's i i love your passion it is the people that make it so special and to to circle back or i could listen to you talk all day i love how passionate (laughs) you are about it um the the question i was going for earlier has to do with the people so you have an orchestra you have all the parts written out but it's every person's need to put their emotion and their feeling into the instrument as they play. Have you ran into, is this a trouble? I'm totally curious because I don't know. Do you ever run into the trouble that where everyone wants to express their feelings in their emotions in the instrument, 
but they express it differently maybe where maybe you're playing a little bit off tone or you're playing it slightly off tone but and someone else is playing it in a different tonality going the other direction where it almost just sounds sloppy or is that something that doesn't happen because I, I imagine i see the notes on the paper and then i start to put on my own twist before you know it i'm i'm trying to rewrite the song which is something that we obviously don't want to do have you ran into experiences like that oh definitely um, <laughs> that's one of the things we work on a lot of community orchestra rehearsals but with orchestras you know of every of every level and age group I mean, i've worked with orchestras from elementary all the way through professional and one of the things i can say is that you know Everyone uh, puts their own pizzazz into it. That makes it wonderful. But our job as a conductor is to bring one unified interpretation that inspires everyone to give their best and put their passion into the music, but in a unified way. Uh, if we didn't have conductors for a large group and everyone just played it the way they felt with not much of a sense of time, you know, or, or um, you know, expression, unified expressions or bowings, uh, it would be pretty wild. I mean, kind used to serve as conductors, and they still do in some cases, like, you know, especially string orchestras or chamber groups. Um, but it's interesting. One of the things I always try to do is, you know, teach people something that will make their performance more meaningful. So not just saying trumpet, you're off or things like that. You hear a lot of these comments from conductors, but, you know, I love to say things like, did you ever consider that this is what this part of the piece is trying to express. And if you use a do tonguing, you're going to get this warm, beautiful sound coming out of the instrument. Don't you want to express it that way? And all of a sudden they'll say, yeah, I do. And you know, the, all of a sudden it will really be the interpretation they're looking for. So you want to give everyone the tools so that they can be successful. Obviously, I have my interpretation as a conductor, but I also believe in not the conduct that the conductor is a collaborator, and that means that as a collaborator, we don't tell everyone that everything has to be this way and that's all there is, but to have room for each person to bring what they can contribute to it within a unified whole. And that's what makes an exciting performance, especially when people move freely and they feel the music, but they're doing it together with everyone in a unified way. Uh, that feeling is, it's, it's not something I can put in words. It's so uplifting. Yeah, you're you are creating a storyline together. It's uplifting. I, I love it. And, and Jonathan, in a moment, I want you to introduce this other piece that we have ready for today. Um, personally, it's funny in the world of Zoom. After this, I want to talk a little bit about music over Zoom. Um, sure. I don't know if it's happening on your end, but I'm having a little bit of latency in the internet connection. So what I'm going to do during this piece is go on my phone and start shutting devices off so we get better quality here. I want to <laughs> talk about um, music and, and comp composition over Zoom and how that ultimately changed the world in a sense but first let's introduce this song and and listen to this piece we have here um, oh thank you so much ben. 
This is exciting. This is the Rochester Shottish by William Rolison. It was written right here in Rochester in 1852. It's become a popular fiddle tune. I got the original manuscript, you know, a melodic line, and I was so excited to arrange it for the Brockport Symphony Orchestra. We performed this this fall uh, for our virtual folk music around the world concert. And it was just so uplifting to bring the arrangement and playing live during the pandemic. Some parts in this recording were recorded live. Some parts uh, were recorded separately and then mixed in uh, to the main you know, group uh, performing. But it's been so exciting to take a Rochester piece and feature a Rochester composer. I love arranging it, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, let's let's give it a listen, Jonathan. Thank you. Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C first to keep in touch with everything new. Now back to the show. Wasn't that fun? Oh, I love, I love dances. A shadish is a dance, you know. Okay. And it's so much fun. Uh, when you play a dance, because it makes everyone want to get up and dance, you know, it's the same thing for the players. And when I'm conducting it, I feel that in my conducting, I, I want to dance and feel it because it's just so uplifting and that you, you'll find it very interesting. So many of these pieces have that A-A-B-B-A-A-C-C 
AA in terms of form. So you have that main theme that repeats, and you have a second theme, sort of like a rondo. Then you go back to the main theme, then another theme, and you go back to the main theme. But when you have the variance in dynamics, you know, you have come down to a soft piano, then built up to that final forte, uh, oh, it, it makes a performance so inspiring. I just love getting a chance to share what we do with our community that way. It's great. It's great. Uh, I enjoy it. And, and I want to talk about how rehearsing has been. Um, I don't even know what to ask. Do people come together to rehearse anymore? Are they rehearsing over Zoom? And let's say you are rehearsing over Zoom. What's stopping, you know, latency issues like the, the kind I was just happening from <laughs> making the entire piece go all over the place? What, what, what has the experience been in the past six months? Oh, my goodness. Well, the answer is all of the above. <laughs> you could say, uh, well, first, let's talk about what we've been able to do live starting this fall. Uh, we've had small groups of players. So in Brockport, we've had, you know, eight to 10 people in a room rehearsing t together. Um, Greece, we've had around 15 or so instrumentalists with the community orchestra. So it depends on the size of the space. So Cornerstone, we have a very nice room, not a huge room, but we, we have a good amount of room for, you know, a small group to spread out with masks, with distancing, any wind players wear those special bell covers and the special masks, you know. We've only been rehearsing for an hour. Um, and, you know, we've made just a lot of changes in obviously getting used to the environment, recording rather than performing live in a venue. We record in our rehearsal location, put together the virtual concerts. Mm -hmm. Now, Brighton Symphony, um, rehearses in the large gym at Brighton Rec. So we're very fortunate to have a large space. So we were able to have 25 strings and percussion uh, together for that one. Uh, Tim Bethel Orchestra this year, we had six string players, piano, uh, and two vocalists, um, the Chazan, Randall Levine, and his wife, Emily Levine. Uh, and then we have people on Zoom watching the rehearsals as they happen. And then for the virtual concerts, what we've been doing is they will send me their part recorded to the main hole. I'll mix it in and then we'll create the final recordings, you know, for the video. Um, before we were able to do that, we were having a lot of rehearsals on zoom, which we may very well go back to. We're planning to have some zoom sessions these next couple of weeks. Latency is a real challenge in terms of rehearsing by Zoom. It's one thing to watch a rehearsal happening. Um, I have found the best way to do it. We play a piece. Uh, everyone plays along with it with their mics muted. Otherwise, it's a mess. <laughs> and when it comes through to each person's computer, you know, then each person plays along. Uh, and it's a good way to practice and keep your instrumental ability up, you know. And uh, Zoom is great for discussing the music. You know, you can have each person, you know, give questions. Uh, what would I like to answer in a part? You know, I'm having an issue with this part, or I really like this part. Should it go like this, or should I play it like this? Those kind of questions we can discuss on Zoom. We can talk about, you know, music history, how 
pieces were written. Uh, we can educate a lot through Zoom. There are a lot of great educational opportunities. Um, but boy, was I thrilled to get into a live rehearsal room in September and start making music in person. Zoom is amazing what it can do. Um, but there is something very special about having the people in the room that is difficult to replicate for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can't replicate that experience of having everyone together, but you you opened my mind to it because I ha- I've, you know, taught over Zoom and been on a lot of larger Zoom calls. I hadn't really thought about that, the education aspect. I know personally, when I was very young, I was very quiet. And whether I knew the answer or didn't know the answer, whether I had a question or could answer the teacher's question, it didn't matter. I wouldn't open my mouth. However, on Zoom, we have the beauty of the chat box where, let's say, you want you know instant feedback. You can put a question in the chat box without having to raise your hand or interrupt the discussion or something comes to mind. You interrupt the, the professor or the teacher. You can actually put it right in the chat box. So I hadn't really thought about how Zoom for the collaboration educational element would be great. Obviously, for the live performance element, you want to be live. So, so you're playing the composition as a whole, and then they're on mute practicing their part over the full composition. Is that right? Exactly. So we're playing the recording with all of the parts, and then they're playing their individual part to it. And if you think about it, when people record parts to be mixed into a live performance, It's a similar idea in that uh, they're listening to what we recorded with the small group and then they're playing along to that and recording what they're doing and then I'm mixing it into that. Mm -hmm. Um, What makes it obviously fun about actually recording people individually and mixing in with a live group performance is that you're hearing everybody play. When we do it on Zoom, we're not hearing everybody, but each person can hear themselves and blend into the whole. And we've even had it where I have conducted on Zoom the piece. There's some latency that doesn't always work, Um, but it's fun. And most importantly, it keeps people connected and engaged. I mean, this has been such a challenging time for so many of us in so many different ways. And I feel what we can do to bring people together, create these virtual concerts, bring people together in rehearsals and Zoom sessions and so forth. We have the opportunity to truly lift people's spirits in this tough time. I'm very grateful for the conferences. You know, one of the things I loved before the pandemic started, I loved uh, you know, giving guest lectures, um, uh, serving as a conducting clinician with the New York State Directors Orchestra, you know, reading sessions in you know, Albany and this one. I asked, I, I loved, I, I traveled to NYU and Middle Tennessee State University and mm. so many wonderful places and got to work with so many great people, share new insights of things we were doing here in Rochester and learn new insights from so many great friends and colleagues. But I have to say, I love that all the national organizations, state too, are keeping up, you know, um, 
with their activities through Zoom. I love asmac has been having Hollywood uh, get-togethers each week where we work with so many wonderful people. Like my friend Michael Giacchino did the score for Up and The Incredibles. It was so good to catch up with him. Oh my gosh, we've had interviews on from John Williams and Julie Andrews and so many others. One of the things I love is getting to network with people. Like this week, we're going to be here in Rochester. Normally, Rochester hosts the NISMA conference, uh, but it's going to be all virtual through Zoom. So all the New York State educators mm. coming together, but we're going to do it virtually. And it's different. Um, well, like in Chicago, I love going to the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic. And it's going to be different this year because instead of us being in Chicago and performing together and conducting together, we're going to be doing it virtually, you know, through Zoom. But the big benefit is we can keep up that kind of education, that learning, and we can grow, uh, you know, no matter what our level. I always believe it's important for us to keep learning. I love being able to connect with my colleagues. Uh, it's a little different from going out to dinner with folks, you know, or a great, great in line, you know, and chatting over what we did in the past year or, you know, playing in a live group, you know, with fellow music educators or conducting one of the groups. But what a thrill it is that we can have these virtual con uh, con conferences and, and come together just like the virtual concerts. We can't perform live, you know, in a, in a church or a big auditorium, but we can record our performances and share them. And I think people need them now perhaps more than ever before. Yeah, it it's it's a beautiful thing and it's a it's a great benefit of the time we live in today, the ability to make that happen. And you know, I think to myself how a lot of musicians are sometimes more introverted people or they're the kind of person that they're even if they're not introverted, like they're excited to show their work and they're excited to chat when they get sucked into music, they'll sit there and practice for eight, 10, 12 hours in a row. Now, in a world like this, it, it's your practice, 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 and then you go in your social and you create compositions and you create music and art with others. And when you can't do that, I could see some people starting to go a little cuckoo, reasonably uh -huh. so. But I'm imagining and I'm thinking 30 years back, 50 years back, 100 years back, God forbid we were to ever be in this situation, which we have been through, you know, flus and viruses before, not being able to leave your home is scary enough. And being able to connect to so many people, to be able to connect with all these educators throughout New York State, to connect with Hollywood, to connect with the families of the musicians, with the rehearsals. That's a real special thing that we've been been able to utilize and hone in on in 2020. Something that I don't think I really would have predicted. I've always been a live music person. I like to see music live. I like to hear it and feel the vibration on my foot and so on and so forth. And I miss that, but you know, there's a newfound appreciation with this crazy technology that we've developed where we have the ability to, to have the outlet to share music virtually. Um, I think it's a great thing. Nothing can replace that, that live experience though. I, I really hope that we can get there again soon. I'm sure hopeful for that. We'll, we'll hope for the best and you know, we'll have to see what happens. 
Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> as you can imagine, in, in the musical world, we probably reacted even more than so many people in other professions. But this pandemic has impacted everybody, no matter you know what your line right. of work is or your passion. But I can say that you know keeping us together virtually, it, it's different, not quite the same thing as everybody dining together or being together. But it's still wonderful. You know, I really feel like we're like a family. You know, musicians, we're family with each other. And, you know, we, we can bring teachers together. When you can bring composers together and feel that you have a home and a family and that everybody cares about each other and that we're all in the same situation. We're all doing the very best we can. You know, all those aerosol studies came out this past summer of, you know, different rates and you know, what's the best way to have safe rehearsals and everything. I thought how lucky we are that we have this great community that can come together to do the best we can in such a difficult time. I'm hopeful for the future, but I've always been an optimist. I believe in mm. making the very best of each situation and, and hoping for the best. You know, my heart goes out to everyone, you know, it's, it's been having a tough time. This is, hasn't been easy for any of us. But I am so grateful that I think all the organizations are really trying their very best to lift people's spirits, bring people together, and, you know, keep as active as they can in a most unusual time, for sure. It's, it's very different, no doubt about it. It's, it's an unusual time, for sure. It, it's something that we'll all remember. Um, there's a, a new question, Jonathan, that I just brought on to the show, and, you know, I used to ask people about a billboard, if you had a billboard on the side of the road. I mean, I could ask you that question, but I've asked it a hundred times. Billboard, side of the road, <laughs> millions of people will see it. What does that billboard say and why? I have since I have since put that question aside. It, it's, it's in the Rochester Groovecast Hall of Fame now. And I have a new question that I just unleashed that I want to ask you. Um, it, it's the time capsule, the time capsule question. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't have to be 2020 related because if we were to have a time capsule and it were to be opened a thousand years from now, you know, it wouldn't, what you put in it doesn't necessarily have to represent this year if you don't want it to, but we are creating a time capsule this year because we realize that things change in an instant and we don't want to be forgotten. So we're going to create a time capsule here in Rochester, New York, and you have the opportunity to place something. It obviously needs to be physical of some sort. You know, it can't be something it can't be just the experience of music. It, 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 I, if there was some way that we could jar that and wear it as a cologne or a perfume, we would. There's, there's no way to, to quantify the experience of music. But it, if we could take something and physically put it in a time capsule to be discovered a thousand years from today, with the assumption that, you know, let's say it were a musical element, it would still be able to be played, so on and so forth. Um, what would we put, what would we preserve in that time capsule? And why would you choose what you choose? Wow, what a powerful question. Well, there are so many things that we could choose, and many of them would be most valuable. But I have to tell you, um, we have a couple of upcoming concerts for the holidays. Virtual concerts where we're going to share the holiday season in the year of the pandemic. 
with the Greece Performing Arts coming up, you know, and on December 13th, we're going to show orchestra, band, and choir rehearsing and performing in COVID-19. We're going to have the Brockport Symphony with two vocal soloists, Murray Wojciechowski and Michael DeLuca, singing holiday songs. And, you know, I was thinking, how touching would it be to have those performances and perhaps the sheet music as well in that capsule so people can see that the holidays were not for nothing. Mm. Even in a COVID-19 year, we all came together, we shared music, we brought soloists together with orchestral players, and we brought music to people of all ages, even in one of the most difficult circumstances ever for the musical community. Uh, you know, I couldn't think of a nicer thing than to share those recordings, you know, with people a thousand years from now. Could you imagine them, them saying, look at that, even with those circumstances and what those people were going through, look at what they were able to put together and share with the community. I think it's an incredible inspiration. There are so many worthy things that you could go in. Uh, uh, any, uh, any one of those Zoom you know, sessions with people getting together would be great, of course. But I think celebrating the holidays together in this year, where I think it's so important that we share the joy and the love of the holidays with others, uh, would be so special and something I hope to share with many generations to come. I, I love it. Uh, again, the optimism shines through. They're going to look back and history books might say one thing. The time capsule proved that we stayed optimistic. We stayed together. We kept the cheer and we kept the optimism in a tough time because we're going to make it out just fine, right? Absolutely. I have no doubt. And we're going to bounce back better than we ever were before in due time. I love it. I love it. Uh, amen to that. Jonathan, at, obviously people want to keep in touch. Um, what's the best ways to keep in touch with you, whether it's your website, social media, uh, different links or websites for the orchestra as you conduct, so on and so forth? Oh, thank you so much, man. I always love hearing from everyone. It's such a pleasure to have so many great friends in our community. Uh, you're welcome to go to my website, www.allentoffmusic.com. You can email me at allentoffmusic at yahoo.com. Brockport Symphony Orchestra's website, www.brockportsymphony.org. Um, greaseperformingarts.org. We have our Grease Performing Arts website um, with the Grease Community Orchestra, the Grease Concert Band, the Grease Choral Society. Um, you can go to tbrochester.org if you want to learn more about Temple Bethel and the wonderful activities we're doing there. Uh, Brightonsymphony.org. Uh, and again, all these groups are on Facebook. You can find a number of them on Twitter. Uh, and I can't tell you, you know, just how fortunate I feel to have the opportunity to share my experiences with everyone. You have had such a profound impact on my life, and I look forward to chatting with you and collaborating with you in the future. Please be safe, stay well, and have a joyous and happy holiday season. John Allentoff, allentoff.com. Um, all the other links, I'll put them down in the show notes below. Um, 
You've been a you've been a pleasure. I'm a I appreciate making the connection here, and I I appreciate all the things you're doing for the music community, keeping us strong during a challenging time, but a time as you said, we're we're clearly going to overcome. What a pleasure to be with you, Ben, and thank you for everything that you do to keep us strong and keep us joyous in this unusual time. Thanks again, John. What a pleasure. Thank you. Rochester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby.